0: Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. This episode is sponsored by Organifi, purveyors of your superfood powders. Let me shout out Organifi's Harmony Blend, which is kind of like a chocolatey, cinnamony, yummy treat that also helps to balance out hormones because it contains maca, chaste berry, shatavari, and then stinging nettles. Um, So it's really four powerful herbs combined that really have profound effects on balancing out our hormones. Of course, hormones is a lot more than a supplement game. It's going to take a little bit more than some maca and chaseberry to balance out your hormones if it's lifestyle factors that are contributing to hormonal imbalance. And P.S., it usually is. However, this does create a little bit of a tasty treat, um, and those adaptogenic herbs can really help to support the overall system while you are working on the lifestyle pieces. So check them out, Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and you can use code FUNK to save 20% off of every order you place. Okay, friends. Yay. We have Terea Rodriguez on the show with us. Um, Terea has become one of my friends. We met in a training that we did through Jessica Flanagan, um, transformational eating, um, and just had so much in common that we have been chatting a lot um, over the past year or so. Terea is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. She's a transformational coach. um, And she just really works with a lot of chronic conditions and helps her clients unpack those. So that's kind of the name of the game of today's show. We're going to talk a lot about mold, about Lyme, um, and not necessarily getting into specific treatment modalities, but just kind of talking about this idea of dealing with a chronic illness. In fact, uh, a listener wrote in to ask about how do we communicate this to our family and our friends? Because there's such stigma of chronic illness, We call uh, they're often called silent illnesses, um, where somebody might not look sick from the outside, right? But they're dealing with a lot of health challenges that other people might not know about. So we're going to get into that as well. Um, I do want to post a little bit of a disclaimer in that if you're somebody that's easily, um, that easily goes into, oh my gosh, my environment is out to get me. If you tend to be more hypervigilant with your health, Keep in mind that I think Torreya does a really phenomenal job with kind of talking people down and including messages of hope. Um, and if this is not like a fear-mongering podcast. However, just, just be mindful that we are going to talk about some things like mold and lime that could potentially exacerbate the stress response. And I, I say this because... Uh, I recently read a negative podcast review, and it's not even a new one. I just happened to recently read it, uh, that, that once again, uh, called me a hypochondriac and I'm good. (laughs) I've done enough internal work. It's just, it's so interesting because that is, and I say this because I know so many listeners here can relate to this. That is sort of a, um, a scarlet letter that I've carried around for a very long time. As somebody who struggled with health issues growing up and through my, te- my teenage years and into my young adulthood, um, that was co- really gaslit by healthcare, by the medical um, complex, essentially. I was consistently told that nothing is wrong, nothing is wrong, nothing is wrong. It's all in your head. And I know that this is the, the truth for so many people. And so the only reason I bring up this 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 podcast review, it, it's not to protect myself, but it's actually to protect my listeners. I'm speaking to the, my hypochondriacs out there. You are falsely labeled. You're not a hypochondriac. You just know your body. You know your body. You are willing to go to bat for yourself, and nobody listened to you. And so because healthcare is what it is, we tend to label. There tends to be this this stigma around chronic, mystery, health symptoms. Uh, there's a lot of mistreatment. There's a lot of misdiagnosis. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of gaslighting. Like, this isn't real. <laughs> this is all in your head, young lady. You don't know your body, right? Um, a friend of mine who went through the ringer recently, um, finally, after three long years, finally, finally received a diagnosis. In fact, she received two, two pretty gnarly, scary ones, um, but she told me at one point I was gaslit so hard that I started to gaslight myself. I started to say like, is this not even real? Am I just making this up? Is this not real? right?" And so I just want to be really crystal clear that that's who I show up for. That's why I do this podcast for. It's not for the people that want to continue to stigmatize us. It's not for the people who, that want to call names. It's not for the people who want to shit talk. Find another fucking show, dude. You know, if you don't like it, move on. Don't spread your negativity around. I'm here for the people that need to hear this message because there's a shit ton of us. There's a shit ton of us, right? So I'm here for the people that um, have been falsely labeled as a hypochondriac. I see you. I got you. And the truth of the matter... We won't get into this in too much in today's show, but I promise to come back. We're actually taking a break next week for the holiday, but the week after that, I promise to come back and I'll hit you with some of the the science on the fact that trauma actually does change our brain. And I personally consider, this kind of like my hypothesis, that chronic mystery illness and the associated medical gaslighting it can register as a trauma, right? And like I said, we'll get more into that. It's, it's a huge passion passion project of mine. We mention um, Dr. Stephen Phillips in the show. He, he was actually my mom's Lyme doctor way back in the day. Um, and he wrote a book or co-authored a book recently called Chronic. And he said in the book, dealing with major illness is traumatic under the best of circumstances. Worse is when it's discredited by doctors and loved ones. And right, that tends to be the lived experience of so many folks dealing with with a chronic condition. And I just want to say that and I kind of mentioned it in the show. <laughs> ironically, it was before I even read this review, but I'm not here for the people that want to call us hypochondriacs. Like, Go bully somebody else I'm not here for it. Not only will I not let you call me that, but I'm certainly not going to let you address anybody in my audience like that. Certainly not. So find another show for yourself. Leave your uh, negative, you know, reviews elsewhere. And um, I got your back. That's all I want to say to the to the folks listening who have gone through the ringer. I got your back, and I'm going to continue to show up and um, serve you because you're the you're the people that really need it. All right. So I love you guys, and I hope 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 you enjoy this episode okay so Terea, thank you so much for being here this has been this conversation has been on our books for a while so I'm, I'm excited to actually tuck in before we do i would love to hear a little bit of background on you so um i think your background explains why this topic is so relevant to you and why i wanted you to be the one to um explore Um, these things because we haven't really talked too much about them on the show before
1: okay sure so um you know some people may have heard this before from me and and maybe not but i'll just repeat it again so you know before i became a functional medicine practitioner health coach fdn all of those things I was enjoying a completely different career. You know, I thought I had found my dream career. I was working as a professional pilot. I was working for a charter company and I was also working for some private families in the Bay Area. And so here I was flying jets and turboprops and, you know, doing all this fun stuff and totally loving the job yet I found myself not really being able to recover from sleep and that was kind of a red flag and I was kind of like well this is kind of weird like I'm sleeping 14 hours shouldn't I feel a little bit more refreshed and that wasn't happening and you know lo and behold I brought that up to my OBGYN because she was the only person that I saw and she found thyroid issues recommended me to an endocrinologist and it this whole thing started with a diagnosis of Hashimoto's, and I thought that really what I was getting into was okay. It's thyroid disease. It's Hashimoto's. That's totally prevalent. We're totally going to be able to fix this. No problem. I'll be back to flying in no big, no, no time at all. Um, and that's just not how it worked out. And so the Hashimoto's was particularly hard to treat it led me to uh requesting a medical leave of absence for a period of time and walking away from flying for a while to figure this stuff out i you know ran the dead end road with the endocrinologists, and um they really wanted to cut out my thyroid and radiate it and i didn't want to do that and so I turned towards natural medicine, and that's when I started to discover how many different layers there were to what was really happening. And that's kind of that kind of got me super interested in the the biology of it all. My background before becoming a pilot was in biochemistry in school, so I had this basic understanding. And bless his heart, I started working um, early on with Chris Cresser and He put up with all my questions of like, hey, can you just send me this PubMed article that explains this functionality so I can understand it some more? And he just kept feeding me research, research, research. And that's when I got interested in doing this myself. And throughout the years, you know, you kind of get into this, like, I've got a diagnosis. Okay, great. I'm going to walk through this door and magically I'm going to figure it out, reverse it, heal it, and be on my way. And that, that really didn't happen. Like it, it, I got better to a point. It's kind of like the staircase, right? You take a stair up and then you've got a landing and I'd be on a landing that might be short, might be really, really long. And then I do a staircase up and then I'd be on a landing, staircase up and landing and that kind of thing. And so people describe it also as like the layers of the onion. It's the same kind of thing. And later on, even though I felt much better there were still things that I was tolerating that I decided that I wanted to really dig into and look under those rocks and see what the hell those things were. And that's when I stumbled across discovering mold in my my environment and discovering that there were some chronic infections in my body and all of those things. So it's been a, a long journey of discovery, and it's also been really eye-opening to understand how many different factors go into, quote-unquote, the root cause. And I've now realized that the root cause can be very complex for some people.
0: I That's such an important point, especially when we, uh, when we start to dip our toe into functional medicine. It, it, it's almost like too easy you know it's too simplified it's like oh if you have this and these are the root causes you fix the root causes and boom then you don't have the thing anymore and it's if only it were that simple like it would be so wonderful but it's usually a lot more nuanced a lot more layered and like you said it's it's it is like peeling back the layers of the onion and it's you know i what i want people to hear and understand is that just receiving the diagnosis isn't the end of the journey for some people it feels like it is because they've been looking for answers for Years sometimes and then to hear, oh, I have Hashimoto's this autoimmune illness or for me it was systemic sclerosis. to get the diagnosis, you're like, okay, phew, now I can rest when in reality, that's kind of just oh. the beginning, right? That's like that's oh when gosh. you start to <laughs> to yes. start to explore the different contributing factors because it is so multifactorial it's there's so many things that could contribute to it. I had a uh, in my fNA, mentorship, this question came up. If I had I talked about how um, pregnancy postpartum can be a trigger for autoimmunity, can be a trigger for Hashimoto's. Yeah. And so the question was, okay, so if, if pregnancy is the trigger, then how do you address that root cause? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> pre- pregnancy isn't the root cause. It is like the thing that like filled, up the, you know, filled up the bucket and made the bucket overflow. Right right and so what we have to do as people who um, have been diagnosed with a some type of chronic condition or you know a, as clinicians who are dealing with chronic conditions it's really look at what are all the things in your bucket and it can yeah. be so many different things and I feel like that's that's what you ended up um, discovering for yourself and um, I would love to unpack the mold thing, the lime thing a little, bit more so can you tell us about and i know you work with a lot of um your own clients who deal with these issues can you tell us about how did you get lead to to mold because that was the first that was the first thing you discovered correct before the lime
1: yeah so discovered mold before the lime um that actually you know that ended up happening um it was in a period of time where my husband and I we were we were moving to a new city and moving to a new home that was being constructed and so we had to rent a home in between there and got a little complicated and of course the construction didn't go to the timeline, so we ended up in a couple of different rentals and um you know I chalked some things up to stress. So I had a very sudden, very large weight gain. Um, and lots and lots of inflammation but i was chalking it up to stress because we were dealing with this construction project that wasn't going to plan and things like that and um when we moved out of that apartment into our home that was finally completed um we were packing up the master bedroom and i just happened to look at the inside of the curtains of this rental and they were black
0: it was so gross oh my god
1: oh my god (laughs) we're like, no, <laughs> And this was a period of time, this was around 2016, I was just getting through some of the mold training with FDN, um, you know, and going through the understanding of, of a space in functional medicine that I felt very... Um, unskilled, right? I, I, it was very unknown. I didn't really know. Like, I thought it was super hard to treat. Like, what is this? And um, so there was a little bit of fear already just because it was unknown from how would we approach this standpoint. So anyway, fast forward, we get into this home. I changed nothing. The stress is still there um, because we had some issues with the construction company, yet the weight starts dropping. So I was like, oh, okay, I should probably check that out and see if that was mold. And so I did a mycotoxin test and the thing came back lit up like a Christmas tree. I was just like, it was pretty amazing how much mold was there. And so we were in this new home, yet we had brought all of our belongings from that home that got contaminated. So that was the big deal for us. Now, some people who find a moldy home, they're not in the process of already moving. They're now faced with the the, the decision of, do, do we want to stay here and remediate this and figure out what this is? Or do we want to just up and move, but then you have to look at your belongings and how much of those got contaminated and that you're still being exposed to. That's the weird thing about mold is that A, it's invisible, so you can't see it. And B, if it gets into porous material, it's really, really hard to get it out unless you can put it in a washing machine. And you can't, uh, last I checked, you can't put your sofa in a washing machine. So there's a lot of things that you have to really think about and consider giving up. And there's a lot of um, emotional consequence that comes with that because sometimes those are cherished things you know heirlooms
0: not to Um, mention financial consequence
1: oh holy moly yeah totally and I mean we were in a situation where we had moved and we had sold some furniture we kind of knew that we were going to be in minimal furniture mode yet at the same time we just invested in a brand new mattress and I didn't want to give that up we just that was you know that was an investment supposed to be an investment and uh so we had to test this house and um, the house that we're in. And while that test kind of came back clean, what didn't come back clean was our mattress. And so, you know, there were things that we had to clean up. and But it that whole experience, I guess, for me, allowed me to go through the process of learning what is it like for somebody who has to go through this experience with mold and the decisions that they have to make Um, because fast forward a year later and we have mold in our (laughs) crawlspace. I couldn't believe it I was like are you kidding me and so we had to make that decision we had invested in this home we needed to remediate so I ended up through um, a uh, non-standard way of being exposed to mold going through all of those decisions anyway and figuring out what it would take to find somebody to come out and do the proper testing on the house, figure out why there's mold in the crawl space, figure out what we needed to do to remediate it, figure out how we were gonna pay for that additional cost in the crawl space area and rectify that so that we could make sure that moving forward, we were no longer exposed to it because at the same time I was still going through protocols to try and get the mold out of the body that had gotten stored in the body so kind of doing it from two different tactics if you will
0: it um there's a lot i want to say i had my own i we, we i call it mold anxiety my whole my own mold anxiety episode where there was some funky things going on with Hattie, when she was younger, she just was very. She would be up all night coughing and like, per, like create a lot of mucus, and so we went down the food sensitivity path and pulled the foods foods out, and then we ended up pulling out our carpets on the second floor, but in the basement, we found that there were some funky things and just going through the whole test, day, it's just so stressful. And mm-hmm. we did. We also did the mycotoxin test and both of us came back elevated. So I'm like, oh, what the F, like, where's it coming from? That's the thing, it's like, you get the test yeah. and then you're like, now you have to figure out where it's coming from. And that can pitch you right into such hypervigilance and something that I have had to, really deal with in my own personal life is this like feeling like and this is on the heels of of dealing with chronic illness right Mm -hmm. feeling like the environment is out to get me or like there's so many potential threats now i am also a child of alcoholism and hey guess what i'm really good at (laughs) right right looking for the threats in my environment and catastrophizing right right so like, I'm already w- w- well predisposed for this type of, of thinking. Um, and this is something I would really love to speak, speak about because what I have had to do for my overall health and sanity in general is actually, I, I just feel like there's this balancing act between being aware of things in the environment that could contribute to chronic health conditions and also getting to a point in your health journey where you're like you know what i probably have done as much digging as i can do and now it's more about trusting my body trusting my immune system trusting my inner terrain and trusting that i'm going to be okay and like how do you navigate that you know how do you how do you I, i i caught myself because old habits die hard as they say when we were in florida a few months ago Um, I walked into the house. We first walked into the house. There was Glade plugins everywhere. I'm highly sensitive to fragrance. So I'm like, oh my God, I wasn't feeling good the first week or so we got there. So I'm like, is it the fragrance? I'm like, did we, did we get exposed to COVID on the way down here? Um, maybe I got a tick bite. Uh, maybe there's mold in this house. Like there's, there's no shortage. I'm like, is this an autoimmune flare? There's no shortage. did I get exposed to gluten, you know, of of things that could send my body into a, a tailspin? And ultimately where I have to net out when I go into those fear spirals is, you know what? There's so many things that could cause problems in my body. What if, rather than constantly surveying the environment for all of the things that could go wrong, what if I just invested a lot of faith in my own body's ability to deal with things because, you know, I've been through the whole healing journey. Like I've done all the things, I'm doing all the right things. And at a certain point, I feel that it was more helpful for me in my overall health to say, you know what? I'm good. Like throw my hands up and kind of like Jesus take the wheel, like type of vibe versus like, I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to keep searching for all the scary things.
1: Yeah. And this is a very common, um, I call it the uh, hamster wheel of death, right? It's sure. Just, our brain gets into this hamster wheel and it's like it's going over and over and over and it's just spinning, 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 spinning. And I see this with food. You know, people have a, a some kind of symptom and they are like racking their brain. What possible ingredient did I eat yesterday that is causing the headache today? You know, and, and it's sure we want to evaluate what are those things that could have contributed but when it's something that is so complex in nature that it's almost going to be impossible to pick out the one thing and i think it's a mistake that we have it it seems to be a um i don't know a recurrent theme that i see in the the natural health world of you know if you can just figure out the one thing that you're going to be fine right And you'll be able to correct it and it's going to be unicorns and rainbows the rest of the time and and so we get into this like okay well was it the food or is it the mold that's in the house or like you said was it the glade plugins from the airbnb we rented or for me it was going to a conference at a hotel and walking into the walking into the the uh the conference room And you could just smell the mold coming out of the HVAC. Like, it was just ridiculous. And here we are having a health conference in this hotel (laughs) with all these practitioners teaching, I kid you not, a two-day mold (laughs) seminar. And so many people got chronic headaches the whole time they were there. Like, it was really quite an experience to know that I am exposing myself right now. (laughs) Like, what do I do about this? And, um, but you're right. There's this, this frame of mind that is the piece that I really work hard on with my clients. Because if we can shift our frame of mind into a state of faith that our bodies know how to heal, just we need to give it that intention. We need to give it the Um, environment to be able to do that and when I say environment I mean more the internal environment with how we're balancing our nervous system and when we are in in that hamster wheel just spinning 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 we are not activating the parasympathetic nervous system which is what we need for the body to be able to do its healing functionality so really shifting that mindset into having that faith of like, I'm doing the best that I can right now. My body does know how to heal and it's proven it to me many, many times. How many band-aids have you put on yourself? And then you peel them off and oh my gosh, the cut is gone, (laughs) right? It's done it over and over and over. And it's proven to us over time that it can do this. We just need to have faith in it to be able to do that.
0: Well, I tell everybody that, um, we have wolverine powers right we have self-healing power wolverine yes. as in the marvel comic wolverine yeah. like I'm making the button. wolverine fists right now yeah you know we can we have the ability to self-heal and this is the point that i keep trying to get across to everybody it's it's that you just haven't been taught so you haven't been taught that so you don't know what's available to you so you it's not an option right if we hear more stories of like how people actually can heal themselves then we start to see oh wait I, th- they did that? Maybe I can do that too. That's a, that's a topic for another day, but it's like a real yeah. passion point of mine. And um, I know it's a little bit radical to be talking about our body's own immune system in these you know, very um, polarizing times, but we, we do actually have an immune system. And me saying that doesn't automatically make me alt-right. It's, it's true. We have immune systems. We do have to put some faith in them, especially for folks with ongoing chronic symptoms. Now, you had brought up the Lyme piece, and um, I want to give a little bit of a backstory because we have—I have some experience with chronic Lyme. Um, my mom. This is back in high school, so probably around two thousand. Um, was that she was having a lot of ongoing health issues, cluster migraines, really weird fatigue, lots of pain. And long story short, she ended up getting diagnosed with with Lyme. We lived in Connecticut at the time and chronic Lyme was not something that was well ac- accepted, not to say that it is today, but even less so 20 years ago. And she went from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor. Who nobody could help her. Nobody understood yeah. what was going on. Fortunately, we did live in Connecticut, which at the time happened to be um, there's a lot of Lyme literate doctors, Dr. Stephen yeah. Phillips being one of them. And that ended yep. up who was, you know, who saw, oversaw her treatment. But there was so much controversy surrounding it. This is a woman who, uh, you know, was at the top of her career th- that ended up in a wheelchair and bedridden for years and there was nobody that was willing to help her and the people that were willing to help her were essentially risking their licenses in order to do so it was a it was an extraordinary hot topic um and i think it's calmed down a little bit and it's a little bit more accepted but you know i was just reading a part of dr stephen phillips book who you know i know know you were the one that recommended it to me uh called chronic and they were using an example of one of his patients who was you know who had gone through antibiotic treatment and then as soon as they stopped antibiotic treatment their symptoms came back and it was a story of they were explaining that to their neurologist and their neurologist literally slammed her fists on the table on her desk and said chronic Lyme does not exist so it's just that i mean i talk often about the medical gaslighting um that yeah. goes on so much it's like we we do not honor people's lived experiences we don't listen to people we don't listen to women uh, especially and um we're just we just see so much of this with mold with lime with like the kind of the, the invisible illness, right? The chronic mystery yeah. symptoms. And what is your experience? You know, And, and so I, I tell that story to give some background and to also add on that even though I witnessed my mom go through this extraordinarily stressful and debilitating time and still dealing 20 years later with some of the fallout of that, um, I don't stay out of the woods, you know, I don't yeah. I don't I don't live in fear of getting the Lyme because I'm aware of how bad it can be and also I have to trust that my body knows what's up. You know, and so it, it's a yeah. very fine line to to dance. And I would love to hear a little bit more about your thoughts around the whole lime picture.
1: Yeah, so I mean Lyme is <laughs> We could probably talk for three hours on Lyme. You brought up so many points that I'd love to dig into a little bit more, but maybe not today. Um, Lyme is finally starting to get some recognition. You know, it's starting to um, be recognized as it's more common than breast cancer now. And because it's getting some recognition, I think people are finally starting to believe people when they say that they... Have this thing. Um, I was reading an interesting article out of Time Magazine yesterday tracking the history behind the Lyme vaccine that got pulled. And it got pulled because of a bunch of political backlash because people felt at the time, the perception at the time was that it was a quote unquote yuppie disease and only happening to people who were rich enough to go vacation in Cape Cod and you know now we know that it's it's nationwide it's worldwide actually um so but it's across all the four all the lower 48 states they even find it in alaska um and it's it's not a east coast thing anymore it's very prevalent everywhere and the thing with Lyme is I think you're absolutely right. Like our immune system can really hold a lot of these pathogens at bay. Because if you think about it, it's not like they suddenly showed up in the last 20, 30 years. Right. We've been living in pathogen soup <laughs> for as long as we've been humans. And um, and so it's our immune system's job to be able to learn how to keep this stuff at bay. Some of the stuff we don't get rid of, for example, viruses, We they stay in the body. It's just the question is... How well is the immune system able to keep that at bay so that it's not causing symptoms and taking over? And it's the same kind of thing with the, the Lyme, it, different co-infections and all of the you know tick-borne pathogens that can come across from a tick bite, flea bite, mosquito bite, like all of them. How well is the immune system able to keep it at bay versus? does it let it run rampant in the body so everybody's experience is slightly different with Lyme because the co-infection cocktail if you will um, the different pathogens that do come across are going to be slightly different from person to person and their other um, extenuating circumstances like their environment what's their environmental toxin load what's their stress load what's going on with their gut microbiome like all of those things play into how somebody manifests the different symptoms with Lyme. So it's very much one of those um, diseases that can mimic other types of diseases. And it also is very, um, like all of these chronic things that we're talking about, it's invisible to the third person that's looking at us from the outside. So the physical body doesn't typically have you know, major rashes on it. There's no stitches. There's no cast. Usually there's no hospitalization, yet the person is suffering from all sorts of different symptoms that are really difficult to find out what is the quote-unquote root cause in these cases. And so, you know, Lyme for me was one of those things. My first delve into Lyme from a personal standpoint had to do with a, a dog that we got as a young puppy that was perfectly healthy, happy, and then all of a sudden one day exhibiting cerebellar um, ataxia. So could not use any of her four limbs and would just keel over. And this these bouts of ataxia happened a number of times. And of course, we went down to the veterinary office and there were MRIs and spinal taps and all this stuff. She must have a brain tumor. No brain tumor. Couldn't find anything that could explain what was going on and then those symptoms disappeared. But then four months later, all of a sudden she couldn't get out of her bed one morning because one of her joints was swelled up like the size of a grapefruit. And lo and behold, I sent a photo of the joint to her breeder. And he, he immediately he was like, that is Lyme. Go get her on doxycycline. We've seen it before. That is definitely Lyme. And it was an interesting experience to have to go to multiple vets offices here in California and be told Lyme doesn't exist in California. Yet you look at the CDC website and this county is a hotspot for Lyme. So it was really fascinating. Um, We finally did get a Lyme test for her and it came back positive. And and we finally were able to find a vet who was willing to listen to us and, and work through that. But during that period of time, or shortly after that period of time, I was trying to figure out, okay, most of my stuff is resolved. I'm past the mold stuff now, you know, I'm feeling pretty good now. Except, you know what, I've got these cyclical recurring migraines. Maybe I shouldn't tolerate them anymore. Maybe I should really dig deeper and see if I can figure that out. So I tracked them carefully and realized that there was something cyclical about it. So they were three days at length. They were every three to six weeks. And so to me, that meant, oh, there's a life cycle here. I bet that this is an infectious disease agent. So I sought somebody out and said, okay, I think I've got some kind of weird infectious disease. I've been to tropical countries in my past. I want you to do the, a big workup for all the parasites you can possibly think of. And here's what I'm suffering with and all of the different things. And he's like, okay, we can do that. But I also want to test you for Lyme. And I nearly laughed him at him. I nearly was like, you got to be kidding. That's not Lyme. It doesn't sound like Lyme to me. It's not Lyme at all. And so he talked me into doing uh, Lyme panels, and sure enough, what came back positive? Lyme. So it was something that uh, I had no idea that I was going to be having to face and learning how to treat and going through that whole experience. But um, it's just one of those things, right? It's one of the factors, the complex factors that are... Uh, feeding into what is is my individual biology look like? And that's the piece of this chronic illness.
0: Like we gotta figure out what everybody's unique combo is. Just gonna take a quick moment here to shout out one of our show sponsors, Coyote River Hemp Co, who create really sustainable hemp and CBD products. Uh, And I think it really relates to today's topic of these chronic ongoing health challenges. CBD can be such a wonderful tool to utilize, and I've shared with you before that that is quite you know how I use CBD. It's a way to downregulate my anxiety, yes, but also to manage um, autoimmune flares or pain flares that I could be experiencing. And I know that that comes up so often with the mold and the um, the the chronic Lyme and and all of that. Um, it really helped works on the endocannabinoid system, which I'm certainly not an expert on, but it's essentially a complex signaling network within our body. I mean, like what isn't complex within the human body? But what I think is really cool is that the first known endocannabinoid that was discovered was named after the Sanskrit word ananda, which essentially means bliss or supreme joy. So it kind of paints a picture of what CBD um, can help us with. And I was just out of curiosity, because we know with chronic health issues, there's usually some dysregulation with the limbic system, including the amygdala. So I just kind of did a quick PubMed search, and um, the first thing to pop up was evidence of the anti-panic actions of, of CBD. So it really can help to just down-regulate everything, you know, anything from the 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 pain that we can experience with chronic conditions but also the acute anxiety that these chronic conditions can elicit in um in us. Uh so you can use our code funk10 to save 10% off. We'll link up coyote river hemp co.com in the show notes for you. Yeah, there's secret sauce. Um <clears throat> I'm trying to anticipate audience questions and um would you feel comfortable talking a little bit about Lyme testing because I think that's that's kind of the, the tricky piece. Wouldn't, would you agree with that? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Lyme testing is, um, Lyme in itself. I mean, there's a lot of different, um, I don't want to say political. That's not really the right word, but there's a, there's a lot of history around Lyme testing and people believing whether or not it's an illness and this, that, and the other. The testing that is approved by the CDC is a, diagnostic test that was never intended to be diagnostic at a medical level. It was really something that was used in, in a couple different laboratory studies and it sort of because there wasn't anything else available became the de facto standard. The unfortunate thing is that that is a test that is only looking for antibodies for only one of the possible, I don't know, 20, different kinds of pathogens that can come across in a tick bite. Um, And what we know about that methodology of that test is that um, the false positive rate and the false negative rates are actually fairly high. So you and I use labs that have very high sensitivity, very high specificity, which means their accuracy is really good. This, This one lab has neither so it's really not that great and unfortunately it's it's typically if you go to a doctor and you're like I suspect I have Lyme they run this test it comes back as negative and they're like nope you don't have Lyme no big deal they usher you out of their office offering I don't know painkillers or antidepressants or something Um, and so the reality is that we need better testing and there are companies here in the United States that do better testing some of them can be absurdly expensive for more antibody testing but better sensitivity better you know specificity um so that's good but really what we need are tests that can look at what are all the different pathogens that can come across and do we have some better methodologies and None of them are my absolute favorite. We can do antibodies. We can do some DNA antigen testing. There is one out of uh, Germany, actually, Armin Labs out of Germany. They have a really great panel, and it's looking at T cell activity. So what is the current T cell activity against which pathogen that you have in your body? So you can really get an understanding of what is your immune system being challenged with, and I love that lab. And I'm, I'm sad because in the period of the pandemic, they've stopped accepting samples from the United States, and that will probably continue until they um, are, have enough workload to be able to handle these kinds of labs again. Right now, they're inundated doing all COVID testing right now, but um, that is a really great lab, and I finally ended up finding a practitioner that was going to help me, A, get the right tests, and B really understand what is my current pathogen, like what's my personal pathogen cocktail that's from the Lyme Collective, if you will, so that we would know how to go about treating it. And um, it took a lot of testing. And I mean, the amount of money I spent on testing is just kind of ridiculous, but I think we finally figured out what what my body is, is currently dealing with.
0: Pivot slightly because a question came in recently about, How to communicate. So let's say you're dealing with one of these invisible illnesses. Um, There is a bit of a stigma attached to them, for better or for worse. I remember, and I've said this before in the show, uh, one of my first negative reviews of this podcast was somebody talking about, like, you can't listen to, I haven't read it in a long time, so I'm paraphrasing, but you can't listen to Erin without getting stressed out. Hopefully not everyone turns into the hypochondriac that she is, which is like, hey, you know, I'm just here providing, like, I get how this conversation could stress somebody out if this is not on your radar or if you're not struggling with a chronic situation. Like, yeah, maybe this isn't the best episode for you because it's going to put things in your head that potentially don't need to be there. But for somebody who is looking for answers, you know that's, that's who I get on the mic for. That's who I show up for because that was me. That was me struggling. So I have the utmost compassion for folks and witnessing it in my mother and witnessing it in so many of my clients. Like that's who I show up for. You know, if you're just looking for somebody to tell you eat more green leafy vegetables, not the show. So Mm -hmm. I'm here to like unpack a lot of these things that could be contributing to your overall situation. And I just, honestly, I don't stand for that. I think that is absolute gaslighting. I will never be okay with somebody referring to somebody else as a hypochondriac simply for talking about their lived experience like not on my watch not gonna fly um but it really exemplifies how people think about this kind of stuff and there is this absolutely this stigma um so the person that wrote in has fibromyalgia and it the question was like could you ever talk about on your podcast how to explain this to coworkers or to friends or to other people in my life and she actually said i've overheard my coworkers kind of making fun of fibromyalgia how about like how it's not real or how it's fake and she's right. like now i'm really uncomfortable with saying like hey this is my 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 situation um do you have any yeah. advice around how to how to speak to people You know, if you if this is a load that you're carrying that other people aren't aware of because they don't see it, how do we communicate this to people?
1: I think, you know, part of it. it, This is such a great question, and I'm so glad we're going to unpack this a little bit because, you know, we've done we the collective we, uh, human human beings. We have done a little bit of a disservice by giving names to certain things that don't mean anything, um, like chronic fatigue syndrome. All that means is somebody's suffering from chronic fatigue, but we haven't figured out why, um, you know, fibromyalgia is chronic pain basically, but we don't know why. Um, and because we've given these, uh, vague labels, um, It allows the the traditional medical community to just kind of like well i gave you a diagnosis so you know expect this to be the best that it's going to get and that kind of in my interpretation that is a i'm not going to acknowledge that that really exists and therefore i'm not going to do anything to help you and that's how i interpret that not everybody interprets it that way but that's how i interpret it so here we are in a culture where we tend to quote-unquote not believe people who have these chronic symptoms because we are either assuming that they're making it up in their head or that it's not real or it doesn't have a real root cause so we don't really know what it is and it's almost like we're like condescendingly patting them on the back isn't that nice. And that pisses me off to no end because you and i both work with clients who are dealing with this stuff day in and day out and their experience is absolutely real and it's in my job up to me to help them navigate that in a way that not only will it empower them moving forward but so that they can start to understand okay what can we do to start to alleviate some of this stuff from a strategic standpoint but from the social standpoint of like how do we communicate these kinds of things i don't know about you but have you found a giant correlation like i have where people who have chronic illness are also um chronically not setting boundaries for themselves
0: uh a hundred percent why do you think i'm the boundaries bitch (laughs) (laughs)
1: hello yeah totally so i mean that's the thing so part of the issue is that the way that we have been in the past and i, I i'm saying we because i was definitely this person is i would show up for everybody else 110 percent. i would never complain about anything that was going on with me and i would always you know do everything for everybody else meanwhile there was zero setting any boundaries for my own self care for anything that i needed i never knew how to ask for anything that i needed i was raised to be fiercely independent and not ask for help from anybody and that really played into people being used to me being that way and then when i started sharing a little bit more about how i was chronically feeling. That completely, like, they couldn't really grasp that and really understand that because here I am trying to explain where I'm at, yet I'm not changing my behavior and I'm still making those sacrifices and trying to be there for everybody else. And I think a really important shift around how to communicate this is not only coming out and saying, I'm experiencing this and I also recognize that I need to make a few changes and therefore I'm setting this boundary. Will you help me hold this boundary for myself because I'm going to need some help in that. That is the biggest step that a lot of people that I work with realize eventually that they need to make. And once they start making that, then they can start getting some headway and, and getting some cooperation from the people around them. But the people around them, are going to be expecting the old person to show up and here they've got this new person that they're trying to learn how to do this and trying to navigate how they feel at the same time it's one of the hardest things that I've seen people go through is getting this getting to a point with the chronic illness where they can't do it anymore and having to completely shift around who it is that they are in order to figure out
0: a way out and excuse me um yes to all of that. Absolutely. I was like tearing up at one point because I could just relate so much. And I, I I know that a lot of people listening absolutely do. And I think it's also, it's, it has a lot to do with figuring out where, you know, what depletes you and what fills you up and being okay with, that looking different than other people. Here's a real world example. Um, my mother-in-law, who I love dearly, she is the world's biggest extrovert. She gets so filled up by being around people. She loves parties. She she's just she just thrives in that environment. I am an introvert, so I recharge by being completely alone and having downtime. And I remember her saying to me because she was she's you know this is back when I was not feeling well, but it was like on the road to recovery. So I had, you know, a lot of like big stretches of feeling great. And then sometimes I would get depleted, uh, wash, rinse, repeat. Right. And she said, she's like, we really need you taking care of yourself. And like you, we, we want you to take care of yourself so you don't have to miss big family events because to her, that's the epitome of like how she thrives and how she lives her best life. And for me, it's the big family events, not family, but social, it's the big family social events that actually deplete me. That's the stuff that burns me out like that. So you have to really figure out what, what nourishes me on such a deep cellular level that I feel like, you know, I, I feel like I could thrive, what depletes me and be okay. This is the hard part. This is the hardest part in my estimation. Be okay with that being different than other people being different than, Absolutely. you know, the people in your life that expect you to, to your point, Toria, being your old self. That's yeah. the, ch- that is really the challenging part. But once you can do that, I feel like that is, that is the road to recovery in a lot of cases. Absolutely it is. And I think the, the biggest step in that is
1: just being introspective in asking yourself, reflecting, like, what are these things that, fill me up and you know renew me and rejuvenate me versus what are the things that are depleting and draining this is not in the like grade school agenda right we're not taught how to recognize these things and so just taking uh inventory if you will of what are those things so that you can have that awareness And for somebody who's in the throes of chronic illness and not feeling well and they're totally depleted, it's going to feel like everything is depleting me. And so it's, it's in the beginning, it becomes overwhelming because it feels like, oh, I need to stop doing everything. But there are other things that they can start to identify of what has filled them up in the past and start to bring those things back in. Um, Because oftentimes those are the things that are uh, in the moment determined to not be as important. But then I will challenge that and say that those right now are the things that are the most important. And she'd be bubbling up to the top of the priority list as opposed to all the other things that have been deemed, quote unquote, as important right now. And so really understanding what those are is the first step to getting to a place where we can even set those boundaries because if we don't know what they are we don't know how to set them
0: that's a really important point is that you can't set boundaries unless you're fully aware of them and you can't be aware of where your boundaries are unless you are radically honest with yourself and taking stock of your of your life um yeah hey i have eyes on the clock i know you have to bounce so why don't we tie this up and by you telling folks where they can find more of you if they're interested in working with you just give everyone some details about where they can get more of you
1: sure so um
0: definitely you can go to
1: my website terearodriguez.com. i know aaron will put that in the show notes because you got to make sure it's spelled correctly um but that is my website you can always um I have a free training there that people can watch and sign up for as well as if somebody wants to talk to me, they can book a call. Um, They can also listen to other podcasts that I've been on and and get a little bit more of me. And then sometimes I hang out on social media. I'm really working on my own boundaries with social media right now. and trying to heal that uh, relationship so it's a healthy one (laughs) because I definitely got into an unhealthy one. So sometimes I'm around social media, but that's probably the best way is just taking a look at the website
0: okay perfect thank you so much for coming on the show this was a good discussion and i know that people will get to benefit from listening to you riff on all of these really kind of scary topics but also you provide a lot of hope around a really scary s- subject matter so i i appreciate that
1: yeah this stuff is totally navigatable totally figure outable. and um you know, I think it just really takes, like you said, it takes some introspection, it takes some deep look at what's going on with yourself. But if you're lost, hire a coach, talk to somebody like me talk to somebody like Aaron, like, we are here to help people
0: navigate that. Indeed. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.